Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. Um, I just want to introduce our guest speaker today. Um, who will actually be the first guest speaker in the new space. What a privilege. Uh, His name is Liam Thatcher. He's come all the way down from Oxford to us. He is a pastor, preacher, writer, and sourdough baker. He was last clean-shaven in 2007. Um, I don't know if there's any plans for the future about that, but hey, no. (laughs) Um, I've known him because he was the teaching pastor at Christchurch London, a great... uh, church and uh, friends of ours as a a church family as well, part of the New Frontiers family of churches that we're connected to. He served there as teaching pastor for 11 years and occasionally when I was having a day off, just a break from chapel, I would actually sneak sneak across to Christchurch London um, and I'd heard Liam preach and he was just brilliant. So we're so excited to have him here to, to come and speak to us today. I should say as well that he actually has changed his message. I'm sure he'll say more about that following the leading of God, uh, I think on Friday this week. So I just love those moments. I often think they're signs that God is going to do something quite remarkable amongst us. So can you just give him a really raw, warm welcome, round of applause as he comes up to preach. Wow, thank you. I mean, after that introduction, I am excited to hear myself preach now. Well done. Um, uh, it's such a treat to be with you today. Thank you so much for having me here. Um, I, as I've been thinking about today, I have been so like, just nostalgic about genuine life-changing moments I have experienced in this building. So most of you don't know me and I don't know you, but I'm big fans of you and big fans of this space. And it's no exaggeration to say I have genuinely had life-changing moments here in this room. And I was remembering, uh, just I remember exactly where I was sitting on a pew over there that you've now torn out. Um, <laughs> love what you've done with the place, by the way. Um, can't believe you didn't keep that pew in my honor, but there we go. Um, right over there. I was a student, a university student, and I came up here every month for this year-long preaching course. And I remember hearing Michael Michael Eaton preaching from this stage. And he wasn't praying, he wasn't doing ministry, he was just preaching. And something of the power of God completely overwhelmed me in a way that I hadn't really experienced before. Um, And that was a key moment for me where I really felt a calling to preach and pastor. And I've had many such moments like that in this space that have changed the trajectory of my life. And I mention that for two reasons. Firstly, because if I preach badly today, well, it all started here, so that's kind of on you. (laughs) Um, But mainly and more seriously, it's because I genuinely consider it an honor and a privilege to be here and to give something back to you today. And as Howard said, yeah, this is not the sermon I was planning or thinking that I was going to give today, so I'm sorry whoever uh, spent time pre-recording the Bible message. Um, uh, But I just had this niggling feeling on Friday, I think I've got it wrong, (laughs) and I think there's something else that God wants to do. So um, we're going to look at Acts chapter 4. If you have a Bible, you may want to turn there, and I'll pick out a few bits and comment as we go. But we're going to look at this particular prayer that the early church prayed, and then I'm going to invite you to pray it for this community, for this city, for this moment in time. Does that sound good? (laughs) You don't even know what the prayer is yet. You're up for it. That's good. I mean, it's in the Bible. It's not going to be bad, right? Okay. So that's where we're going today, and I'm excited, and I'm excited to get to pray, and we may pray for the sick at the end and uh, see what God wants to do, but let's get into the text. So Acts chapter 4. 
And a bit of context. So Peter and John at this point have been preaching the good news about Jesus and healing the sick wherever they went. And we're told that many who heard the message, this is Acts 4 verse 4, many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So just back up for a second. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people had come to faith. That's pretty impressive. Now, another 2,000, taking it up to 5,000. And it's not clear from the text whether that is just 5,000 men, and there are women and children on top of that, therefore making it a far bigger number, or whether it's 5,000 in total. But in a year, 5,000 converts, I'd take that. <laughs> I think that's pretty incredible. We're told that the authorities were unhappy, so they threw Peter and John into prison, and the next day they were brought before the council and asked to explain themselves. In verse 8, we're told that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he spoke courageously about Jesus. The authorities said, you've got to stop doing this. Stop preaching about Jesus. But the power of God was so obviously, undeniably present with them that really there was nothing they could do. And so they released Peter and John, who went back to where the other believers were meeting. In verse 24, they told them everything that had happened. And when the believers heard this, this whole story, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And they prayed this mighty, powerful prayer. I wish I had time to look at it all today, but it's just a brilliant prayer about the sovereignty of God and the way he has intervened in various times in history and asking him, do it again, do it again in our day. And I just want to look at verses 29 and 30, and I want to unpack two halves of this prayer and then invite us to pray it for ourselves. It says this, now, Lord, Consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. I think there are two halves to this prayer. There's praying for our work, empower your servants, and then for God's work, stretch out your hand. And I want to look at those two halves of the prayer and then invite us to pray that prayer. I warn you now, it's actually a dangerous prayer because it's a prayer that requires us to step out in faith. But it's only when we pray that kind of prayer and then step out and follow through that we get to see incredible things in our day. So let's go through this prayer. And let's start with the first half, praying for our work. Verse 29, now Lord, consider their threats, that is the threats of those who are opposing the gospel, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So the believers at this point were facing incredible opposition. And what strikes me firstly about that verse is I don't think that's the kind of prayer I would pray in their situation. I think I would be praying, Lord, would you bring an end to our opposition? Would you get us out of this situation? Would you rescue us? Would you do away with our oppressors? They don't pray that at all. Rather, they pray not that they will be removed from the situation, but rather that they would have grace in the situation and power in the situation. Because it strikes me that what often seems like oppression to us is an opportunity to God. In fact, Howard already prayed that, essentially, praying for Crane and praying that this moment of incredible oppression and hardship that I cannot imagine might become an opportunity for the gospel. That's not just a vague sort of happy, hopeful thought. That's a thought that is rooted in the understanding of how God moves in history. Because in the book of Acts, again and again and again, oppression becomes opportunity. And so the believers don't pray, God, give us an easy life. Rather, they pray, would you give us everything we need to be faithful to you and your mission in the midst of this difficult situation? They pray, God, would you empower your servants? Because they understand that they have a job to do, they have a mission to fulfill, and they have a message to proclaim. And they need God not to make life easy for them, but to give them everything they need to be faithful to that mission. 
And when they pray, God, enable your servants or empower your servants. To be clear here, they're not just talking about their leaders. This isn't the church going, oh, we're so grateful for Peter and John. Would you empower them to keep doing the good work they're doing, getting thrown into jail <laughs> while we have nice prayer meetings? They're not praying for their leaders. Praying for leaders is great. But when they pray, Lord, would you empower your servants, they're talking about all of them. Because they recognize that there's not some two-tier division within Christianity, where a couple of anointed individuals get to go around and preach the gospel and heal the sick, but normal Christians don't do that. When they say, Lord, would you empower your servants, they are praying for all of them. They are praying for themselves. This may seem like an obvious point, but I think it's one worth making. I so often read stories in the book of Acts, or read stories about great men and women throughout church history, or throughout the world even today, and I think, oh, I'm so glad that God empowers servants like that. But that's not me. There is no two-tier division within Christianity. And when the believers cry out for God to empower his servants, he means every one of them. Every one of us who is a follower of Jesus is called to the very same mission, proclaiming and demonstrating the kingdom of God. And our opportunities may look completely different. I get to stand on a platform, that may terrify some of you, truthfully, sometimes it terrifies me as well, but like our opportunities may look completely different, but the mission is the same. And the power we need for it is exactly the same. And the good thing is that God does not call us to a mission for which he does not also equip us. We have the same Holy Spirit dwelling in us that dwelt in Peter, dwelt in John, dwelt in Jesus. <laughs> like we do not get like a beta version of the Holy Spirit, sort of 30-day free trial limited features. That's not how it works. The same Holy Spirit empowered Peter, empowered John, empowered Jesus, and raised Jesus from the grave dwells in us. Yes, that deserves an amen. <laughs> and that's good, because we're on the same mission. Every servant of Jesus needs the power of Jesus. And that same power that was available for Peter, for John, is available for every one of us by the Holy Spirit. The late John Wimber, who founded the Vineyard Movement, used to say, everyone gets to play. <laughs> I love that. The book of Acts is sometimes known as the Acts of the Apostles. And I kind of get why, because it actually does chart some of the early apostles, the people sent out by, by Jesus to proclaim the good news of Jesus and start these churches. But the impression it can get, give is that actually the stuff that you see in this book is really only done by apostles, by a particular anointed group of people who preach the gospel and heal the sick, but that's not most of us. Well, that's not the case at all. In fact, if you look in Acts chapter 8, it says this, verse 1. This water for me, by the way. I think it is, good, I'm just, otherwise I'm just gonna drink someone else's water, so there you go, which um, it's unopened, so I'm okay, but uh, you know, not what you do in this day and age. Acts 8.1 says this, persecution came upon the church and everyone except the apostles were scattered. Verse four says this, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. That group explicitly does not include the apostles. Everyone except the apostles get scattered. Normal Christians get scattered and as they go, they preach the gospel. One of those quote-unquote normal Christians, a guy called Philip, and when he preaches the gospel, huge numbers of people get healed. This tells us that neither proclaiming the good news of Jesus nor demonstrating the kingdom through signs and wonders is something that is only given to a small group of people. It is something for all of us to do. Because all of us who are followers of Jesus are servants of Jesus, and all of us have the same mission and access to the very same power. 
So when we pray this prayer, Lord, empower your servants, we're not praying for Howard. <laughs> we're not praying for leaders in this church. Asking God, Lord, you've given us a mission and it's too big for us without your strength. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. And that is a prayer that God loves to answer. The believers cry out, empower your servants. And God doesn't look down and say, okay, they're just the extroverts. <laughs> or just those with a theology degree or a leadership position. It says, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Everyone gets to play. In fact, everyone needs to play. Because our world is a mess. It needs Jesus. It needs a fresh revelation of the kingdom of God. And our world is not going to be turned around by a small number of anointed individuals going out proclaiming the news about Jesus and demonstrating it through signs and wonders. It's going to get changed when every believer says, Lord, I'm your servant. I need your power. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. The book of Acts starts quite nicely counting numbers and then quickly stops. <laughs> so Pentecost, 3,000 get saved. Then 2,000 get added. From this point on, it doesn't say, and another 600, and another 2,000. It just goes, and the church greatly multiplied, <laughs> which is incredibly vague. Have you ever wondered why that is? I think it might be because actually it's quite easy to keep count when you've only got two people preaching. When everyone starts proclaiming the message of Jesus, you can't keep on top of the numbers anymore. Everyone needs to play. And I love the fact that this passage starts right at the beginning with two people proclaiming the message. It ends with a whole community doing the very same thing with the very same power. That's what we need if we are going to transform this world. They were all filled with the Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. I don't know what comes to mind for you when you think of that phrase, filled with the Spirit. Uh, often I think of it kind of like, you know, up that gets filled with water, sort of up to the top. And so the question is, how full are you? Are you still full? Do you need a bit more to top up? That kind of thing. And I kind of get that. But actually it's quite a static image when you think about it, isn't it? Because a cup gets filled and then it sort of sits there until it gets knocked over or drunk or whatever. There's a purpose to it, but it's static. It doesn't move anywhere. I don't think that's what being filled with the Spirit actually looks like. I think being filled with the Spirit looks less like a cup being filled and more like the sails of a ship being filled. You know, when the sails of a ship open themselves up and the, the wind, the Spirit, literally the same word in Hebrew, when it fills the sails, there's motion, there's movement. When we pray, fill us, Holy Spirit. We're not just saying that because we want to have a nice, enjoyable church life, great services, great vibrant spiritual lives by ourselves. When we say, fill us, Holy Spirit, we are inviting him to propel us out with power into the world. That's why it is a dangerous prayer to pray, but it's an exciting prayer to pray. And I'm going to lead us in praying that prayer a little while later. So it's worth thinking, am I comfortable with that? <laughs> One person is comfortable with that. <laughs> by the end, many more of us will. So the believers start by saying, Lord, would you empower us, your servants? But then in the second half of the prayer, they move from praying for their work to praying for God's work, as it were. This is what they say in verse 30. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In this verse, the believers are asking God to do what only he can do, to heal, to perform signs and wonders that demonstrate his power and draw people to himself. Healing the sick, signs and wonders were a core part of what the church did. It's what Jesus did, it's what the early church did. I believe it should be what we do as well. 
And signs and wonders, healing and praying for the sick, was never just something nice that happened at the side. Like the main mission is to proclaim the good news of Jesus and occasionally we'll do something nice for people and heal them as well. <laughs> like the two go hand in hand. They're two sides of the same coin. Because the church's mission was to proclaim the message, Jesus, the, the, the Messiah who died for our sins, rose again from the dead, and is coming back to make this world new, will reign eternally with his kingdom. That king is powerful and active today. And we don't simply declare that with our words. The church historically has also proclaimed it with actions, signs that demonstrate and authenticate the message. And a sign is, as you know, something that points towards something else. That is how healing is meant to operate. We are meant to be people who proclaim the message of the kingdom with our mouths and then demonstrate it signs that point to its truth. A little while back, I was walking somewhere. Uh, I, I'm a bit of an introvert at times, and so I'd sort of have my headphones on and a head down, ignoring everyone. It was kind of in the evening, and I was walking along, and, and suddenly I became aware that there was this, like, this glowing patch of light sort of on my torso, and it was just a weird moment that stopped me in my tracks, and it wasn't a spiritual experience. I suddenly became aware that I had wandered off the path into a bike lane, <laughs> and there was a bike heading towards me. And so what happened was that this thing stopped me in my tracks, and I looked up, and of course, along the beam of the light, and I saw the bike. And then at that moment, I have a choice. Do I walk into the light <laughs> like an idiot? <laughs> or do I step out of the way? And I think in a weird kind of way, that is a picture of how signs and wonders are meant to work. That is, that when we are walking along, sort of in our own world, maybe in the darkness of this world, sometimes something just breaks in and hits us. We experience something in our bodies, whether it's healing or whatever, that causes us to look up a long beam to the source, and we recognize there is something advancing. That is the kingdom of God. And then we got a choice. Do I get out of the way? <laughs> Hopefully not. But like, I've got to respond to this thing, because the sign points me towards this advancing thing, this king and his kingdom, and I have to do something about it. Our mission is to proclaim the good news of Jesus and then demonstrate things that impact people such that they look up, they look down the beam to the source, the king of the kingdom, and they have to respond. Proclaiming the message of the kingdom and demonstrating it go hand in hand. This is something I am personally getting like, excited about and growing in faith for. The last few years, I've been on a journey of just praying for as many people as I can, and many of them don't get healed, but many of them do. Because I'm convinced that this is something that God wants to do more and more through his church. And maybe you guys see more of that already than I do, in which case I want to learn from you. But I've got so much to learn about this because my life does not yet resemble Jesus. It does not yet resemble the book of Acts. And so I think my life is currently falling short of what God has the potential to do through me. Last Saturday, I was at an event at my new church. And uh, this lady was preaching on healing. And at the end, we had an opportunity to pray for people. And I didn't know many people in them, actually. But I had this sense, uh, just this impression. I don't know if you ever get that sometimes, that you sort of think, oh, maybe that's from God. Um, I felt like there was a lady there who, every time she clenched her fist, she got these shooting pains just running down her left arm. That's a bit weird. So I shared it from the front, and this lady kind of put her arm up and said, oh, no, actually, it was a bit more tentative than that because she was in pain. But she said, yes, that, she should have put the other arm up. <laughs> yeah. But she put her arm up, and she's like, yeah, that's me. For two or three months, she, every time she clenched her fist or like held on to something, just had these shooting pains down her arm. So I thought, okay, God has highlighted this reason. He wants to do something about it. So a few of us gathered around. We prayed for her. Instantly, the pain went. The next morning, she stood up in front of the church, and she was like, look what I can do, just grabbing anything she could, like pain-free and praising Jesus. That's how signs and wonders are meant to work. 
We experience something in our body that stops us in our tracks and we go, well, how did that happen? We raise our eyes, we look along the beam, as it were, to the source and we go, wow, there's a king and his kingdom is real and we give praise to him. I wanna see that more and more and more. But here's the thing, you don't know me very well, but I doubt this will come as a surprise to anyone. I cannot heal anybody. (laughs) I have no power. I can't do that in my own strength. So if that stuff is going to happen, it's only going to happen if God chooses to stretch out his hand. Which is why the believers say, God, would you empower us, your servants, but then say, and would you do what only you can do, which is to heal and deliver through signs and wonders. We cry out to God, stretch out your mighty hand. And that word, that phrase, the hand of God, it's language that runs right the way through the Bible. Particularly in the book of Exodus with the story of Moses. Time and time again, the hand or the arm of God intervenes in moments where it brings healing, salvation, miracles. In the story of Moses, time and again, God says, I'm going to stretch out my hand. I'm going to stretch out my arm to my oppressed people and I'm going to rescue them through signs and wonders. So when the believers, when Peter and John and the church gather around and they say, Lord, would you stretch out your hand? They say, would you do what you did there? Just as you've shown yourself powerful again and again and again to reach into darkness and rescue people in miraculous ways, would you do that in our day, in our situation? We need the outstretched arm of God. But think about this. What does it look like when God answers that prayer? Because you don't turn to Acts chapter 5 and read, and then an arm stretched out of the heavens. <laughs> like, that's not what happens. Acts 5 verse 12 says this. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Huh. Some translations just say by the apostles. But in the Greek, that word hand, it's there. The very same word in chapter 4. So think about this. The believers ask God, would you stretch out your hand in miracles? What happens in chapter 5? They stretch out their hands and the miracles come. So whose hands was it that performed the miracles? Theirs or God's? It's both. (laughs) Because it should be impossible to tell where the hand of a spiritual believer ends and the hand of God begins. Why? Because the hand of God works through the hands of his people. Now, good point. I'm going to say it again. (laughs) It should be impossible to tell where the hand of a spirit-filled believer ends and the hand of God begins. Why? Because the hand of God works through the hands of his people. Always has. Think about Moses. God says, I'm going to stretch out my arm. I'm going to stretch out my hand. How did he stretch out his hand? He did it when Moses stretched forth his hand with the staff and the plagues fell and the waters parted and God broke in. Because the hand of God always works through the hands of his people. I don't have the power to heal the sick. But when I am willing to give my hand and let God use my hand, his hand stretches through my hand. When we pray, God, would you stretch out your hand, we also need to be willing to stretch out our own. I would put it to you that there is not one example in Scripture where the Holy Spirit works in this world apart from through a human being. Actually, that's not true. There is one. It comes in Genesis 1, just before the creation of human beings. <laughs> From that moment onwards, every, every time there is activity of the Spirit in the world, it comes through the hands of a human being. Because the hand of God works through the hands of his people. It should be impossible to tell where the hand of a Spirit-filled believer ends and the hand of God begins, because God works through the hands of his servants. 
Two summers ago, I was... <laughs> makes me cringe even thinking about it. I, I was really going after this. I was really praying for as many people as I could. And I saw many people healed and many people not healed, to be honest with you. But I remember being in Richmond Park with my wife and my daughter one Saturday. And we're sitting there playing in this little sand pit area. And I looked up across the park and I could see this guy walk in through the gates. He was this big, burly kind of rugby player guy. Um, and he was on crutches, and he had this brace that was honestly like the most terrifying sort of brace I'd ever seen. It looked like scaffolding around his leg, and it was just, it looked like he was in absolute agony. And I just felt a real compassion for him. I was like, oh God, he looks like he's in so much pain. Would you heal him? And then I realized, ah, oh, I'm gonna have to go and pray for him. <laughs> I thought that was enough, just saying, God, I feel sorry for this guy, would you heal him? And I was like, oh, I don't wanna do it. And then my wife went, you're going to go and pray for him, aren't you? And I was like, no, I'm not. I'm an introvert. I hate these kind of things. I cannot tell you how much I hate going up to random people in a park and offering to pray for them. It terrifies me way more than doing it in here. And so I said, all right, God, I'll do you a deal. I will go and pray for that guy on two conditions. One, he has to start a conversation with me. He didn't look like the kind of guy that would do that. <laughs> and two, he has to tell me without me asking him what is wrong with his leg. Two conditions. So I threw those up me of big faith, little faith. And then I spent the next 20 minutes just staying on the opposite side of the park to this guy, like, where oh, he moved, the swings. Okay, we're going over here. <laughs> For 20 minutes, and then I forgot, like an idiot. <laughs> and so I'm pushing my daughter on this roundabout, and suddenly I hear this voice behind me, excuse me. And I thought, oh, ah. Like, without turning around, I knew who it was. It was like the moment in Jurassic Park where it's like the velociraptors have come up there. <laughs> Clever girl. <laughs> I didn't call this burly rugby player a girl. <laughs> but I was like, oh, he's... I knew it. And I turned around, and there he was. He said, excuse me. I thought, okay, that's condition one. He started the conversation with me. I'm not going to ask him about his leg, and he's not going to tell me about his leg. And he said, excuse me. I wonder if you mind pushing my daughter on the roundabout. I would love to do it, but I tore the anterior cruciate ligament in my knee. And I was like, oh, you set me up. Seriously. Seriously. Why didn't I add more caveats? Oh, man. And so I'm pushing his daughter and my daughter on the roundabout and feeling super awkward about it. And he said, yeah, I'm a rugby player and I tore the ACL on my knee and I'm meant to be going on holiday, you know, back when that was allowed. And <laughs> I'm going to fly on this plane, but I'm not sure if I'm allowed to do it. And so I've got to wait for a test from my doctor. And we're feeling really disappointed about it as a family. Way more open than I expected from this guy. And eventually I just summed up the courage and I said to him, look, this may sound totally crazy, but I'm a Christian. And... Uh, I don't know if you believe in God. And he went, no. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I, I do. And I've prayed for plenty of people. And um, sometimes God answers that prayer and they get healed. Would you be happy for me to pray for your knee? And he said, yes. Although everything in his body language said no. <laughs> but he couldn't run away because he was in pain. So <laughs> he kind of like through gritted teeth allowed me to pray for him. And so I closed my eyes and I prayed the most awkward prayer I've ever prayed. And I don't know if you've ever done this, but like while I'm praying for him, I'm thinking, this isn't going to work, and it's really awkward, and how am I going to get out of this place as quickly as I can afterwards? And so I'm praying for him just with no faith at all and feeling just horrible about it. As soon as we finished, I went, amen, and I grabbed my daughter. I was like, great to meet you, and we got out of there. And I didn't do any of the things that I would normally do if I prayed for you. I didn't ask him, so how's your knee? <laughs> or like, can I pray again? Or can I be in touch during the week to see how we're going and offer to pray again? Like none of those things. I just felt so terrified that I got out of there. And I got home and I felt like a complete fraud. 
I, I just felt really awful. And I just needed some time just to talk to God about it. And so I went and I just sat down and I was like, Lord, I feel dreadful. I felt like such a powerlessment. What was wrong? And I kind of just felt this thing sort of just in my heart, like God sort of said, well, how do you think it was going to work? And I realized that I am very eager to pray that God would stretch out his hand. I'm very reluctant to stretch out my own. And yet what I see in the book of Acts is that the hand of God works through the hands of people who courageously stretch out their hands. So how did I think God was going to heal him unless I was willing to pray for him? I think people are going to respond to the gospel unless they hear the gospel. And how are they going to hear unless we speak? And I realize that I often pray and ask God to do things which only he can do. But I wonder if actually he's waiting for me to take a little step. It should be impossible to tell where the hand of a spirit-filled believer ends and the hand of God begins because the hand of God works through the hands of his people. And so honestly, if we are going to pray, Lord, would you stretch out your hand and yet we're not willing to stretch out our own, I think we're going to see limited results. If we're going to pray, God, would you do what only you could do? Would you stretch out your hand in signs and wonders to heal and deliver? Then we need to be willing to stretch out our hands and pray in faith. I long for revival. I'm not satisfied with the level of power we see in the church. I'm not satisfied with the number of people I see healed when I pray for them. I'm not satisfied with the number of people who can spend time around me and not get interested in the gospel. I'm not satisfied with the pitifully small number of people I see come to faith in my own life. There's got to be more. I long to see God move in power to change this city, this nation, and this world. And I regularly cry out, God, would you stretch out your hand in signs and wonders? And the challenge that I am feeling and the challenge I present to you is I feel like he's waiting for us to do the same. To stretch out our hands so that his hand can work through us. The 16th century nun, Teresa of Avila, put it like this. Christ has no body now but yours. No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which he looks with compassion on the world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands through which he blesses all the world. It's time for us to start reaching out our hands. I don't want to sound heavy, but I do hope that this provokes you. I, I feel like there is so much more that God wants to do through us. And he's waiting for us to be willing to step out in faith. And if you permit me, I'd just love to share something that I feel like God wants to say to this particular community. And when I was praying for you this week and how I sort of alluded to it, I, had, I knew what I was going to preach. I had a great sermon lined up. Um, and if you pre-recorded the passage, you might as well invite me back for that another day. Who knows? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But like when I was praying, I had a picture in my mind's eye. And it was of this building. And underneath the building, there were just all these pipes with water just running through. And... Um, I saw like in the renovations work, and I don't think this actually happened. I think it was just in the picture. I hope it didn't happen. But I could just see one of the builders pierce the pipe. And this water just started spreading and just pouring everywhere and flooding the whole area under this building. 
And then it started to go further than this building, and it actually started to bubble up through the pavements in the streets around to a radius of a mile around this building. And what I felt it was a picture of was the fact that there is, in the foundations of this church, in this community, there are promises about the combination of the word and spirit, about refreshing, about power, that have been in this space, in the DNA and foundations of this building for many years, but actually now is a time for it to get out. And, and what I felt was, and this is not saying, of course, that you've not been doing this already. Please hear this right. I feel like that God wants to do something new in you which is a continuation of what has already been there. But I feel like um, for, there is a group of you who have been around for a while who know the promises of God over this space. And maybe you've been living with them for decades. And maybe you've been praying for them for decades. And maybe the fact that you've not seen some of the promises come to pass has actually been a really painful thing. Encouragement to you is to dust off some of the promises and keep praying for them. Start praying for them. Start telling the stories of ways that you've seen God move in this place already. And for those who are newer, younger, it's time to start connecting with the older ones and saying, what is it you've been praying for for decades? What is it God has said that you've not yet seen? And I feel like there's going to be something powerful about the coming together of the newer and the older, sorry, older ones, but <laughs> the people who have held the promises for, for years, prayed and fasted for them, catching up the younger guys in praying and asking for the same things. And I feel like this is a moment where God wants to burst through so that your foundations flow beyond you. And I know that you know this, all right, but this renovation is not about having a nice space. It's about being a blessing to the city around. And it's, I don't think it's limited to a mile, but it strikes me that within a mile of this place, you have got so much going on. You have got places of power where decisions are made. You've got cultural centers. You've got incredible people, like areas of poverty and great need. And I feel like there are many areas where God wants to take your foundations, this word and spirit thing, and do something fresh that blesses this city. And I feel like some of them, and it's probably not limited to these, I feel like there is, there is greater effectiveness for you in sharing the gospel and seeing people come to faith. There is physical healing. I feel like God wants to do. There's also emotional healing. Uh, that God wants to bring to people through this community that helps people with just that prevalence of mental health challenges. I feel like God has something for you in that area. And then caring for those in, in need, in poverty. And I feel like those four areas and probably more, God has got powerful things to do with you. But it requires you to pray and be willing to pray this kind of Acts 4 prayer. Lord, empower us to be bold. Do what only you can do. And as we stretch out our hands, May our hands be a vessel for your hand. So are you willing to pray that prayer today? Good. <laughs> Maybe the band would like to come back up then. <clears throat> Here's what I'd like us to do. In a moment, uh, we're going to worship. And then I'm going to ask you, if you're up for it, to pray this prayer. And it may well be that you are brand new here today. Uh, maybe you're not sure what you think about God. Maybe this has just been the most baffling sermon in the world, in which case, don't worry, I'm a guest. I'm not here again, so <laughs> come back next week. Uh, or more seriously, like, come and talk to me. I would love to tell you more about the Christian faith. Answer any questions you have. Totally happy to do that at the end. But in a moment, I'm going to invite you to pray. And when we pray and ask for God to fill us with the Spirit, He will do that. He will. And in Acts chapter 4, we're told that after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And when we pray a prayer like, fill us with your spirit, like sometimes the result is dramatic. 
I hope the building's not going to shake too much because you've invested a lot in it. <laughs> but like, I, sometimes people have a dramatic encounter with God. Sometimes it's just gentle. I don't mind. Like, I'm not interested in hype and drama. <laughs> I'm interested in everyone experiencing the Spirit. As the great theologian Karl Barth said, there can be no abstract receiving and possessing of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> that is something always changes. And for some it's dramatic, like you feel like you get breakthrough in particular areas, healing, maybe you hear God's voice, maybe you experience spiritual gifts. For some it's just that you feel more peaceful than you did before, or more, more filled with faith than you did before, or happier than you did before. Or you find that character traits that were negative and not Christ-like just lose their power. I don't mind what it is, but I believe that every one of us who asks for more of the Spirit will experience some kind of power and change because God does not call us to pray a prayer that he's not wanting to answer. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask the band to lead us in a song. And this is not like musical prelude to the prayer. This is prayer. So as we sing this song, you may want to sing it and make this your prayer, expressing your hunger for God, your desire for his Spirit. Or you may just want to reflect and let the words wash over you, or you may want to pray, whatever you want to do. Just take this as a moment of getting your heart ready before God, and then I'm going to come up and we're going to pray this prayer together, and we'll see what God wants to do. Does that sound all right? And why don't we stand and let's worship. listening to sermon audio from Westminster Chapel. If you'd like to partner with us in making disciples and sharing the gospel, please consider making a one-off or regular donation. Visit westminsterchapel.org.uk forward slash giving to find out how.